0: Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bank Corp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out of network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chimecom disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought
1: to be concerned with. You're
2: supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it you're a freak with a dark shameful secret but you're not the only one get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun now your
3: healing has begun it's back with money with gabby dunn what up deadbeat army it is i your general gabby dunn i just had a doubt where i wasn't sure that general was the highest rank you could have i am mere commander-in-chief topical spent a lot of my adulthood feeling like an outsider. As a queer feminist woman working in media, life, not to mention my Twitter feed, is pretty much a constant stream of reminders that I'm different from everyone else and that my very existence makes a lot of dumbasses feel threatened. But as we've discussed here on Bad With Money, I was familiar with that sense of otherness long before I arrived in Los Angeles and started stealing hearts and blowing minds. According to my producer, that is a direct quote. I've always felt out of place in Hollywood, but also starting from my childhood in Hollywood, Florida, which is a real place that I'm actually from. I went from one Hollywood to another Hollywood. It's almost too on the nose. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've always known that I had less money than everyone else. You've heard me talk about getting to LA and having no idea how so many people seem to have enough money to just shoot their independent films or not have jobs, which no one in LA has a job. Not to mention driving to and from sets of said films in a brand new Prius or drinking organic chia smoothies or whatever people do during the day because again, they do not have jobs. I would see these people and I would feel this sense of disbelief. These were theoretically my peers, doing the same work I wanted to do. And yet, I knew I didn't have anything close to enough money to live like they were living. So I did the only thing that made sense to me at the time. I spent money I didn't have, so I could seem like the same sort of person. And maybe that sounds crazy to you. But as we learned in the first episode of this show, that's exactly what my parents did for me and my siblings. They ran up insane amounts of debt to give us a life that seemed at least vaguely similar to the kids with more money we were surrounded by at school. Even then, I knew something was wrong. I could tell that the people we actually were didn't match up to the life we were living. When it comes to money or anything else, really, you can't escape your upbringing. And that's one of the many things we're going to talk about with my guest today. Stephanie Beatriz is an actress and secretly an awesome ukulele player. As a child of immigrants, she grew up with an even more intense experience of being a financial outsider. You probably know Stephanie as Rosa Diaz on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like Stephanie, Rosen knows how to live well on a budget. I think the perfect first date doesn't feel like a first date at all because you've known each other for a few years, maybe even worked together, and one night you're laughing and all of a sudden it's like, blammo! Kissing.
2: For me, cheap dinner, watch basketball, bone down. So pretty much the same as what
3: I said. But speaking of dating, before we talk to Stephanie, I'd like to welcome fellow Panoply podcast host and old New York friend Andrea Salenzi to the studio. Welcome to Bad With Money, Andrea Salenzi. Um, Tell us who you are. My name's Andrea Salenzi, and I host a podcast about dating. It's called Why, Which is such a perfect title. (laughs) And obviously, dating is one of the least rational ways that people spend money, particularly when it comes to breakups, which are at least as expensive financially as they are emotionally. Andrea, who has a podcast host, has a responsibility to take these things very seriously, as I do as a podcast host. She actually made a spreadsheet of the expenses from her recent breakup, which I loved reading.
1: Andrea, want to read me the entry on line 37? In the old apartment, I had an herb garden. And one night out of just sheer stress about the move, I was like, I can't take this with me. I'll murder it. And I just like ripped my herb garden to shreds. So there's $70 and months of watering it. That is so cinematic. And that's also like the herb garden was a thing I nurtured and watered and fed and slowly grew. Oh, I understand. And was a I understand I'd, I'd the metaphor. I always wanted an herb. Yeah. I understand the metaphor. No, I'm sorry. It's just sinking in for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
3: So then what other things are on the expense list?
1: Um, well, I spent some money on a new bed. I got a Ikea bed frame. I got a new bedspread, a new duvet. I came to about $700 for my new bed for Mm -hmm. sex with new people. Great. I have on here a dummy tax, which is my category for things I spent a lot of money on that I don't think I really had to have spent that much money on. Like what? Um, my booze expense this month was, uh, Mm. over $160, which feels like a lot, like a lot of wine and whiskey in my life. I got a a toy for my dog so the moment we would move in she'd be like this place is awesome i have a new toy elephant forget <laughs> about your remember your stepdad forget about him <laughs> yeah this is your new thing to love and i kind yeah. of like it's it's a pretty big toy elephant for the dog it's probably like half of God, her size and i kind literally, of literally force it into bed with her
2: this is
3: literally like your dad's gone but
1: <laughs> silver lining <laughs> And the thing about this toy elephant is that it's, you can't shred it as hard as you try. So it's it's kind of an indestructible toy elephant for her.
3: Great. was a
1: whole 20 bucks on Amazon. The movers, the moving boxes, the change of address form, only a dollar. Bargain. All those moving costs came together to $1,260. I feel like people in
3: New York move in together so easily because their rents are crazy. Like in L.A., my speed to move in with someone would be much slower than my speed to move in with someone
1: in in New York City. There's this thing I was told by a financial advisor once. He wasn't my financial advisor. I just booked him for another podcast. But a thing he told me casually in the lobby between the show (laughs) is that um, your rent should be about a third of your income after tax. Okay. So that's kind of where I was at before. And now it's at half my income. And that's a spot where I'm compromising a lot. And, I yeah, I spent a lot of time as I decided to see my rent go up this much, wondering if if I was hurting my entire future based on this one impulsive decision to right. live in a nice apartment.
3: I'm trying to write a book, and in it I was talking about how I moved into an apartment in New York, and there was no bed frame. There was just a mattress, and I couldn't afford a bed frame. So I was like, I'm that person that their mattress is on the floor enjoy people who sleep with me (laughs) like welcome to my humble abode i have no furniture
1: and like yeah what i think i deserve is is pretty like low but then if i'm trying to find someone to love me someday um right i felt like i had to invest in this new life by spending half of my rent on a place that made me seem interesting and desirable and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. has her shit together
3: so you could have broken up with him if you wanted to like move back in with your parents
1: Yeah, or I could have broken up with him if I was ready to go back to having roommates. Right. I'm 31 years old, and it would feel so defeating to feel like I'm going back. What was the biggest waste of money, do you think? The thing that still smarts are these five folding chairs I left behind. (laughs) So (laughs) um, when the movers came, there were some things I had the movers leave behind that a lady texted me and said she wanted to come by, and one of them were these five folding chairs. They're from Ikea. Each one's, like— $4, I think they, so four times, so it's like $20 worth of chairs, and now they've been in my apartment for a while, so they're probably only worth like $2 now, but it's five folding chairs that I save for Passover every year, and this lady was going to come pick them up. She didn't, and then I was done with my move. It was pouring rain and I was kind of going back and forth between the old apartment, new apartment, schlepping things that were left behind. So that's when I went and got my plants and my delicate things and my external hard drives and the kind of stuff that you don't trust a mover with. And then Mike and I got in a fight. I only had one trip left and it was going to be to get these five folding chairs. And he said, why don't you just get an Uber? And for me, that $20 that I'd have to spend on the Uber felt like So much money on top of all the other moving expenses, and I couldn't believe that he couldn't stand to see me one more time to come back and get those folding chairs. I was like, fine, you keep them, throw them away. I don't care about these chairs. I guess maybe it was a good expense because I felt really good sending that text message that's like, keep the chairs, I don't need them. But you know, like when you buy five folding chairs, you kind of expect that you'll always have those folding chairs to offer a guest if they came over. But now I live in a studio. I'm never going to have five people over at the same time.
3: I guess, guess, unless you're, like, having some kind of, like, watch
1: party. No one wants to go over to your studio. It's like (laughs) they look at your room and they're like, oh, you do everything in here. Yeah, I guess so. That's your bathroom? That's your kitchen? Yeah. That's where you sleep? Cool. Yeah. Just you in here? This is how you live? (laughs) I am a garbage person. I should live in a basement (laughs) studio like a troll. I don't want to have people over (laughs) anymore.
3: Everybody, check out Andrea's show YOY on iTunes. Go there right now and give both of our shows a five star review. And after the break, I'll be back with Stephanie Beatrice. Stephanie, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Hi, I'm Stephanie Beatriz. You might know me as Rosa Diaz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Do not be alarmed. My real voice is very different than my TV voice.
3: Oh, yeah. I guess I didn't notice that.
2: Yeah. Do people comment on that? All the time. All the time. They expect you to be mean? Yeah, they expect me to be mean and cold. And then, like, sometimes that in pictures, they'll ask, like, specifically ask me, like, can you do the Rosa face? And I'm like, sure. No problem. That's...
3: I, that's like, um, I'm
2: trying to think of someone
3: else that's like, there's like pe- celebrities that people come up to and they're like, can you insult me?
2: Yeah. Or can like, you? What? You, <laughs> yes, I guess I'll do your like weird sexual fantasy here in the middle of the street. <laughs> okay. <laughs> seems normal. Um, So is there like a... a- general
3: feel to money stuff from you growing up yes like, honey it- fear <laughs>
2: <laughs> go on i grew up super poor um, yeah my parents immigrated here from south america mm-hmm. and in south america they had my dad had a great job he was a chemical engineer and then when he got to the u.s um lo and behold prejudice and racism and I know. he he just like couldn't uh couldn't get a job in his field even though he was like super overqualified because he had an accent um, and so, you know, from the time that I was a kid, it was always like we don't have enough for that. Mm-hmm. It was just very obvious that we didn't have extra money. To why be did they?
3: Why did they immigrate to the U.S.?
2: Because they wanted to give us better opportunities. My sister and I, they wanted mm. us to be able to do whatever we wanted, versus like having to having to do something that we didn't want to do. I mean, Jenny and I are both artists. Yeah. which like would be unheard of. That's in. such a
3: classic, like uh, child of immigrants, right? And then they come to
2: the U.S. and they're like, "I want to act." Yeah, <laughs> <My parents laughs> I want to like, live the American dream. Oh God, okay. Right? No, seriously. When I told my parents, they were like, "What about a lawyer or like a doctor?" Right. And I was like, "No, I can do this. I swear, I can do it." And now I'm doing it. Thank God. Were they nervous
3: though? Like moving here, was your dad like, "Well, I'm gonna get another chemical engineering job. No problem." Or were they like, "This is gonna..." And what what did he end up doing? Here? I think.
2: Well, he ended up doing a number of things. Um, most notably were teaching. He taught for a while. Um, he drove a truck for a long time, like a semi. What? Yeah. And then he also drove shuttle buses, like from the hotels to the this airport. This is that, like, that, no, like it's, cliche it's thing it's that you totally, hear where
3: it's like a yeah. taxi driver is like, in my country, I'm a heart surgeon. Yeah, and no, like, okay. these stereotypes
2: are actually real. But yeah, I think I think he was... The The oil boom was really happening in Texas at the time, and then, like, right when they moved, the bottom sort of dropped out of the oil boom in Texas, so, like, the 80s, mm-hmm. early 80s. So, I think it was more difficult than he thought. I think it was really hard on my mom because she didn't have any friends in the U.S. Yeah. She was young. She had two kids. Like, she had, she had worked a lot before because she also grew up poor, so she kind of knows how to pull herself up by her bootstraps, but I think... My guess is, and my parents don't like necessarily talk too too much about their past, but my guess is, my mom was like, "All right, I like did it. I married this guy who's got a great job, and everything's gonna be fine." Mm-hmm. And then when that went away, she was like, "Okay, well, I gotta I gotta figure this out."
3: So similar to your dad, like yeah, a bunch of different exactly. Jobs. Um, did they sort of have this idea that like in America you can be anything you want, or that kind of like golden?
2: Yeah, you know what's? I think this happens to a lot of immigrant families but I will just speak for my own. I think that their goals shift to the kids. Mm -hmm. Meaning that, like, they go, okay, well, I don't know how I'm going to live my dream necessarily, but I'm going to make sure that my kid can live theirs. Yeah. So everything becomes redirected and focused onto the kid. My parents do that too. Yeah. My
3: dad does that too. I interviewed them in the first episode of this show, and a lot of what they were saying was like, yeah, we didn't have our shit together, but, like, now, like, you're... They do this terrible joke where they're like, you're our retirement fund. Yeah. And no, I'm my like,
2: parents make the same joke.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> they're like, thank God we have you. I'm like, oh, cool. That's no pressure at all. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Right. Also, thanks for like popping me out as like a, yeah, a savings account. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Were you living in like a rich area? Yeah.
2: Or? I grew up in Webster, Texas, which is really near a lot of really nice neighborhoods. For example, there's one called Friendswood.
3: No, come on. Yes, it's
2: actually called Friendswood. And the houses are nice. Like, everyone's ha- – even, like, the shitty houses are, like, nice houses. Yeah. You know? And so it was, like – I remember sort of looking around and everyone <laughs> – there was this trend in middle school where everyone would have – do you remember Dooney and Burke? Yes. Dooney so, and Burke purses. Yes. Like, everybody had a Dooney and Burke purse. So um,
3: colorful and gauched and, like – So gross. Yeah. So
2: gross. Now I have one. It's, like, vintage <laughs> and, you know – I mean, I wear it like I love it, but at the time it was like all about the Dooney and Berg purse, all about like a certain type of jeans, all about like we had that had... too,
3: or the Tiffany bracelet with oh, the heart. Oh, the
2: Tiffany bracelet! Mm-hmm. Oh, there god! Were, like,
3: little wealth signifiers. Oh, yeah.
2: So you would know what level people were on, and so like there was no there was no chasing that. There was no chasing it because if I got a fake bag, everyone would know it was fake. You yeah.
3: Know? Like if we had visited New York to see my grandmother, we would go to Chinatown and like try to get the fake ones. Lucky. Well, but but then you could tell, like, if you looked inside, inside, yeah, you could tell it wasn't real. Mm -hmm. You're right. Like, is it is it worse to be the not rich girl who like has no Dunyam Burke purse, or is it worse to be the not rich girl chasing that
2: chasing that like clearly has a fake one? Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I know how it felt, which was like so bad because like you felt like you were never going to sort of climb up to that level.
3: I also, like, remember going into Abercrombie
2: & Fitch Ugh.
3: and buying, like, a plain t-shirt. Oh my God. Sale
2: only. Sale, Sale only. Sale only. Yep.
3: And buying, like, a plain t-shirt that didn't even say Abercrombie & Fitch on it, but me knowing it was mm-hmm. from there. Felt good. And then I was like, I'll wear this to summer camp and people... I mean, the point, I think, was that people... For it to say Abercrombie's, so Yeah. So people would know. Yeah. But I would just go like, oh, yeah, my shirt's from it's from Abercrombie and I know it is and I know it is don't worry about it it's fine I can't afford the one that actually says Abercrombie but we're like working on
2: it I had like a very itchy sweater that was Abercrombie and I would wear it anyway even though it would like itch the shit out of my arms did it say something I think it said something across somewhere it's somewhere on it like Like maybe it was like the buttons or something lacrosse or whatever god (laughs) those stupid sexist god what were we doing what were we doing just trying to fit in fit in that's all we were doing ugh
3: it's so sad
2: I went to a Jewish
3: school and so everyone had bar mitzvah parties Uh, and you it was just like a show of wealth. So like if you had a bar mitzvah party that was like small or um, wasn't at like a nightclub Uh or on a yacht or whatever, then everyone would be like, oh, your parents couldn't (sighs) pay for this whatever huge thing. But then the rich kids would have these like, you know, my mom rented out like a they rented out a club. Yep, and my like, super sweet
2: sixteen. That, yes, that exactly. Yeah. And so
3: at thirteen, you could tell like who had money and who didn't, <sighs> based on who was throwing what kind of varmints was.
2: Oh my god, so stressful.
3: And then now you got the Juni and Burke purse, and you went back in time, and yeah, you showed, or you showed everyone
2: <laughs> a little bit. I mean, you know, one of my favorite things to do is like I bought, I bought this really gauche. Uh, What was it? It was a Gucci purse. Yeah. Like very obnoxiously like, wow, that's Gucci. And then I gave it to my mom and I was like, make sure you tell everyone that I bought it for you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You're like a rapper buying her mom a house. Sort of, kind
2: of. Like I that's like I yeah, there's something about like wanting to sort of I don't know what that is. It's gotta be left over from childhood and sort of a feeling Mm -hmm. of like, I don't belong, so I'm like trying to make sure that my parents belong or something. Did you have like jobs growing
3: up? Do you remember the first time you made your own
2: money? Yeah, um, I was a music teacher for, what was it, like summer summer school at my church for a while. Really? Yeah, like, and I was like not qualified at all. Like I can't play the piano or anything. Our like,
3: our producer, before you got here, was like, did you see that video of Stephanie playing ukulele? It's
2: ah, so good. Oh, that's so nice. Well, now I know how to play an instrument. Now I can play ukulele. But at the time, and I like singing, so that was fun. And so I think I I did that for like six weeks in the summer. Made my own money. I think I bought some school clothes or something at five seven nine. <laughs> what happened to 579 five, clothes? Uh, I hope so because, like, what the hell? That's a, such a fucked up name to name your store. We only carry sizes five, seven, and nine. What is that line from Mean Girls? Oh yeah, that?
3: you can. We only carry five seven nine. You could try Sears. Sears. Dude, <clears throat>
2: grief. So exclusive. But all
3: the clothes would fall apart. I used to get stuff at Rave Girl.
2: Oh my god, I've never heard of Rave Girl. It's
3: what it sounds like. Okay, uh, yeah. But it was like that, and uh, and we it probably
2: w- dressed very similar. Did you own any Jinkos? Yeah. Oh my God, Jinkos all the way. But
3: it would all, it would always the shirts would fall up. Wet mm-hmm. seal.
2: Wet seal. Like it would just
3: fall apart. Delias. Delias. Well, so wet seal was like one level, and then. If you could afford like Delia's or Limited Two, that Uh was like another level. Uh Uh So we would go into Limited Two, and I would just be like, I wanted to be like a a Limited Two model. Like I was like, (laughs) that is the peak. Like that. Like that is the coolest you could be. Yes.
2: Um, Do you remember the first time you made money from acting? Yes, I do. Um, I was in a children's theater tour. In New York City, I just moved to New York City and maybe like a few months after I was there, I booked a job with this company called Theater Works USA that does children's theater. And what it is basically is you're either in a musical or a straight play and you and your castmates drive these two vans around the country. One van with your entire set, all your props, all your costumes, the other van with everybody in your cast and you drive around and you perform in cafetoriums. And like gyms for massive amounts of little kids at like 8 a.m. in the morning. And I was in a play called Ferdinand the Bull. I don't know oh, if you yeah. You know that story? Yes, yes, I do. So it was a musical with lyrics, including but not limited to, I like you because you're a A bull. Great. Yes. That is great. Okay, first of all, I didn't know it was a musical. Oh, it is now. It was by the same guy, one of the same guys that wrote Avenue Q, actually. It was one of the first things really? he did. Yeah, yeah.
3: I remember that book.
2: Mm. Uh,
3: He's like a gentle bull, right? He's a little gentle bull. He doesn't want to fight. And
2: I was one of the mean bulls.
3: Well, wow. So you've really been typecast. I really have. I
2: really have. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that was when I got my actor's equity card, which is the How old were you? I think I was 22. And you were like, this is the best. Yeah. No, I mean, I was like, okay, well, what I think I really thought was... I needed to get in the union because I wanted to be a professional actor. I wanted right. to make money acting. That's how I wanted to live. And I thought no matter I don't I don't care how I get in. And so this was the way to get in and I was fine with it, you know. I was fine with it. It was hard work. It was hard work.
3: How long was the
2: tour? Maybe 5 months, 4 oh, or 5 wow. months, yeah.
3: And so you were like, great. I don't have to think about where I live. I don't have to yeah, think about... I'm just
2: going to save, 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 save. Yeah. And then when I was done with that, they hired me back to do Romeo and Juliet, which was really fun. That was six mm. months. Um, and I played Juliet. And that was really fun because I was like breaking my teeth on Shakespeare. I had never really done Shakespeare before. How, how much do they pay for that? That tour paid two hundred and fifty dollars a week and I thought I was rich, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm making so much money. Okay. But also you don't have any expenses really. No, no. When you're on tour you don't. And so that's like a year of your life? Pretty much, yeah. That was like a year. I would say a good year of my life.
3: So after that, we what happened? After that like tour stuff was done?
2: After that, I made New York like my home home base. Like, yeah. I wasn't touring anymore. But what happens in New York is unless you've gone and some people will argue this, but this is how I see it. Unless you've gone to like one of the big schools, like the Ivy League schools, like Yale Rep, mm-hmm. or you went to Juilliard, or you know one of the other high, like nice, quote unquote, nicer schools, yeah, you don't even really get seen for for plays that are in New York. Like you're basically garbage. <laughs> like they don't they don't care about you. So what happens is all of the regional theaters all around the country, they audition for their plays in New York and LA because for some reason if you live in New York or LA you're a legit actor. You're not right. you, you know. Yeah. You you're for real actor versus like if you live in Colorado or something. Those actors are still real actors. Some of the most brilliant actors I've ever seen are their bases are in the middle of the country. Right. But theater's weird. So I would audition for plays in New York and then I would go and travel and live in oh, other states yeah, while yeah, I did yeah, the yeah. play. So, like, I went to Pittsburgh and spent, like, three months there. I went to Hartford, Connecticut and spent – like, I would bounce around the whole mm. country and work at theaters and make my money and then come back and live in New York until I got the next job and then go away again. Isn't there – there's sort of like a cap, right? Like, either you get on Broadway or – Kind of. I mean, like, how long can you do regional theater? Right. That, and that's what became the problem was, like, I started – I, I hit, like, the jackpot, I thought, and I went and worked at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which is oh, yeah. such a good gig. It's, like, nine nine to ten months sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, that's, like, a <laughs> golden gig for an actor. And I did, it, I did it two seasons in a row. Or, like, I did a season, and then I came to L.A. and did a play, and then I went back and did another season, and I was like, how am I going to, like, build a retirement off of this? Like, I, yeah. I'm making some money, but I'm not putting enough away. Like, I need to figure out, like more. I think growing up without a lot of expendable income just automatically leads you to go like what's the future going to be like? What am I going to have? Is this gonna be okay? Like mm-hmm. that that question in your mind is there constantly because like as a kid you knew that like you might not be okay. Things might not be okay. If if something happened to your mom or your dad, if someone lost their job, which sometimes happened. And so then I started thinking maybe I need to go to LA and just try and see what it's like. Yeah. Because I'm never gonna know if I don't try. Because you know? are
3: there people that are at those festivals and stuff that are like fifty and they're like, yeah. I'm still doing this and you're like, Oh god.
2: Yeah, and like some of them Are lucky in that they've been hired back enough times that they are stable there, and Mm -hmm. they've they've bought houses there, and maybe their partner is doing something else, like has a different job. Like I know an actor whose wife is a psychiatrist, and like so between the two of them, they have this gorgeous house. Yeah, they are that's that's their home base. They're stable there, but at the same time, like you know, no t no shade, but Ashlyn is a particularly white area of Oregon yeah and for me to sort of look around and be like oh wow the only people of color that I see are in the festival like they're not visiting the festival like you sit in the audience and like sometimes it's just like a sea of white faces which I was like I don't know if I can live here because like I don't
3: but isn't that weird that like you're imported in to do theater theater is very interesting to me because it's like you're imported in to do theater but then the only people who can afford to see that it's performance, so like Hamilton, to me, like the idea that the tickets are so expensive that yeah. Hamilton, the entire cast is people of color,
2: and the whole and then audience the whole is like,
3: audience is white. Girl, yeah,
2: I was looking around the day that I was there. I was like, how many people of color do I see? Um, myself and oh, there's a black couple there. That was it. They're priced out. Yeah, they're priced out of the, this thing that's for them. The great thing about the great thing about Lin is that he has created an initiative where I think a couple schools in the New York area were able to go and see the show Mm -hmm. for like for the cost of a Hamilton like they were the tickets Mm were ten dollars but I do agree that like I think it's so I think theater has always been a sort of thing for people with extra money the first play that I ever saw the first professional play that I ever saw was Rent and yeah (laughs) and my mom saved the money and got me a front row ticket for my for my Christmas present. And I went by myself. She dropped me off. I was wearing like my little vintage smoking jacket. And I was like so excited to be there. And you know part of the I reason. used to wait.
3: Every time I went oh my to the yes. I would wait in wait, the line. Wait in the line.
2: Yeah, yeah. We did that too for the tour. Yeah. yeah. It was the shit.
3: And that's also very funny because that's like one of the only plays that I really liked and saw and that was the, like has a lot of people of color in yeah. the cast and also is like about like fuck you we don't want to pay we're yeah, poor artists it's like being and real then poor. i'm like waiting to like pay like i'm like i'm going to do the $25 rush mm-hmm. to try to get in and stand in the back right as, because like, everyone else
2: everyone else bought their tickets for $150 right. cuz they can afford it yeah right yeah
3: yeah so i can imagine it's sort of surreal to yeah. be in the Oregon Shakespeare Festival to be like, one of the only people of color on stage, and the whole audience is white. Yeah,
2: it's weird. You know, like, and theater used to be the medium of the people. Like, you could buy yeah. a ticket for, you know, five cents or whatever and go stand in the front. And now television really is the medium of the people because it's free, you know? Mm-hmm. All you have to do is sit through commercials. But, like, television really is the medium of the people now, It's and it's where you can see more people of color than anywhere else.
3: Well, it would be unrealistic. Any, I mean, I, I guess people don't care. Like, they don't care about that, but I it would be very weird to see a show about the New York City Police Department that was just white people. Yeah. Like, that would
2: be No, it would be weird. weird. But, hey, guess what? Friends.
3: Right, that's what I mean. Or girls. <laughs> or, yeah, like, it happened. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, New York City is such a diverse place, and then there's, like, a million shows where it's nobody. Yeah.
2: Someone was arguing with me about that t- the other day. They were like, no, but, like, you could never have a show like that now. Like, you could never have a show like that. And I was like, girls. Right. Like, of course you can. It's happening. I think, personally, I think there's not a lot of trust um, that executives have that, you know, they're going to sink money into a project. They're worried that people won't come and see it if they don't identify with the leads. And okay. so far, so far, so good. Everybody seems to identify with white people, so let's just keep <laughs> casting them. But I think that that's that's why shows like Scandal, like mm-hmm. Scandal's been such a huge success, a huge mm-hmm. success, because it's well-acted. Yeah. You know, Kerry Washington is a good actress. Like, yeah. that's what really matters is that she's fucking bomb. And, like, yeah. people like a bomb story. That's what they like.
3: Um, do you remember the first time that you made money from acting that was, like, shocking to you? Yes. Or that you saw a contract and you were like, they're going to give me what?
2: Yes. It was the pilot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, because that's yeah. network. Yeah, that, that's ne- you... that network money, honey. Like, I was like, <laughs> what is happening? Like,
3: how did you, what was the audition? Like, how did you get...
2: Oh, I actually auditioned for Melissa Fumero's part first because that part, Amy Santiago, was written for um, a Latina. Yeah. And so I auditioned for that part and Allison Jones, who was the casting director, she could see that it wasn't quite the right fit, but she still liked me. So she was like, let me me see if there's anything else that might be good for you. There was another part, Megan. I think she was described – I might be fucking this up. I might have just imagined it, but I think she was described as like redheaded.
3: Oh. Like fiery
2: temper sort of.
3: Oh yeah yeah and
2: yeah. so I auditioned for that role and I sort of went in and played it like like Rosa, you know, I dressed mm-hmm. in all black, I wore a lot of leather and um and then I got called back for both roles. I got a I can't remember what it's called like the network test or whatever, the yeah, like yeah. screen test or whatever with Andy for both roles. And so the first day I was really nervous cuz I knew it was going to be with Andy and i did the amy part first and like it went okay i could tell i was nervous mm. then the next day i was so lucky that this happened uh, the next day i got to go back for rosa and then i was so relaxed because i'd already been there
3: yeah i'd already
2: seen the room where i was going to be you waiting i met andy i'd, met andy. I'd yeah. like done i'd like it was like a repeat of the thing and and it was really good for me because like i was i just sat in the character and let myself play and that mm. was it went so much better and then when i booked the part um the guys, Mike Schur and Dan Gore, were like, we think we're going to change your name. I was like, no, I like the name Megan. Like, we're going to change to something like soft, like Rosa. I was like, oh, because my mom's name is Rosario. Huh. And I was like, this is great. And my old landlady in New York was named Benita Diaz. Oh. So I was like, this is like a sign from the universe. It was great.
3: So you had like an agent that was looking at the contract for yes, you. Yes,
2: yes. At, t- at the time, I'm still with that agency. Um, They were, you know, doing all the contract stuff and, and everything. So at what
3: point did you see the contract?
2: I saw it when I signed it.
3: And did you know? You were like, this is network money, so this is going to be
2: crazy. You know what I thought was I didn't know if the pilot was going to go or not because I had done a pilot before. Yeah. Um, And it was a – and everybody said it was going to go because it was Portia de Rossi was the lead. Malin Ackerman was the other lead.
3: Yeah, I've been there. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So like, like, this
3: is definitely going right? until the day that it is not Everyone. going. And
2: everyone's like, your life is going to change. Yep. Your life is going to change. And
3: you start spending the money in your head yeah, already. Yeah, which is
2: so stupid. That stuff doesn't happen overnight. It happens over years of building, 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 building your career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and at the time I was not incorporated either. So like the government took quite a bite of that paycheck. <laughs> Do you remember what the check was in the beginning that you were waiting for? Um, I think it was like... The first one uh, that all of the government money got taken out of was like seven thousand dollars, and I thought I was rich, bitch. I yeah. Was like, wow, this is so much money. Um, but then afterwards, I incorporated, and then when the when we got the when the pilot got picked up, and I had gotten incorporated. <laughs> I remember this. Okay, so at the time I was working at Pop Physique, I was a a fitness instructor. Amazing. At Pop Physique. I've Thank been you. there. Love love that workout. Um. The first two weeks of shooting Brooklyn Nine-Nine, after we'd gotten the pickup, I had no money in my account. I was like, I mean, I maybe had like $200 and I was like, I remember asking everyone, we were like standing around in someone's dressing room. I was like, did you guys, did you guys get your paycheck yet? Like, I was just like trying to like make convo. Like, did, you, did there anybody like get their paycheck yet? Because I was dying, like, di- like so afraid I was going to overdraft any second, borrowing money from my boyfriend, like not wanting to ask my parents for money. I was just so, so stressed. And Joe, Joe LaTrullio like loves to bring it up to me. He's like, hey, remember when you... When you're all stressed out about how we weren't going to get paid, you didn't know when you were going to get paid. It's like, now, now, how do you feel now? And I'm like, yeah. When did you quit Pop Physique? I quit, I think I quit like maybe four weeks into shooting the show because I was like, I think I can't handle both anymore. Isn't that surreal? Like you're teaching the class and you're like, I'm about to be on television. Yeah, no, it was weird. It was weird. And then my favorite would be like, my favorite thought, sometimes I would have clients that were like, cranky. Like sometimes you just get clients that are cranky. And one time I had this woman who in, at pop they really teach you to adjust the clients because you don't want, we learn a lot about like their body and their positioning because you don't want them to hurt themselves. Right. And one of the things you do is like ask before class is everybody okay if like I adjust you during class. No, I've been to right? pop physique. I know. <laughs> yeah. and uh, And I had this one client who I adjusted her and she got really mad at me and like as she was screaming at me I was like, I hope that you watch this show someday. <laughs> like, in my head, I was like, I hope you watch the show someday and are kind of embarrassed about screaming at, at me. I hope that that happens.
3: My fantasy all the time is that my ex drives by a billboard that I'm on. Oh, yeah. And I just get to, like, maybe, like, I like in the Harry Potter films, like, my billboard Wink, just winks. Winks, winks, yes. yeah. Oh, my
2: God, I had the same thought. I was like, oh, that'd be so great. <laughs> Oh, uh, yes, or just
3: anyone who's ever been like an an ex-boss like anyone please. who's ever been mean to me, yeah and it's just like
2: what what <laughs> some-
3: I want a bus to drive by this boss that I had and me be on the bus and the
2: bus splash him. I've actually been really stressed out about money lately because I moved into this new apartment um because. I just got out of an eight-year relationship and I broke up with this guy and then I needed to live on my own and so I moved into a much cheaper place but still expensive and like I had to buy furniture Mm -hmm. and like I've never done that before. I had to like set up everything and I I decided to get a financial advisor because I was like I need like I can't I'm trying to plan for the future here like how do I do this? Meanwhile I'm spending like $1,300 on a hutch like because I'm like it'll make me happy I know it will like you know just just like hemorrhaging money lately and I'm stressed about it it's really scary to like be to grow up a poor kid and then be like am I gonna spend $1,300 on this hutch because I, I like it and it's gonna make me happy and I'm yeah. gonna have it for a long time is that is that the reality that I'm living in it's really weird yeah. it's really weird
3: we were I was at a bar last night and Ryan Seacrest was on the TV oh yeah Rye Rye. my friend was like why is Ryan Seacrest still working? And I was like, Oh, well I think he's charismatic and she was like, No, no, I don't mean why is he still working. I mean like he has enough money. Like, right. why is he still working? Right. And I was like, I get the impression that Ryan Seacrest thinks it will all go away at any point. I bet he does. Like I imagine a lot of successful people who you go, Why are they still working? is like they they have that yeah, thing they that have you their were, feel. Like, of... like, I just spent this much money on a hutch. I have to immediately I, make I need that to make money more back. money, yes. Yeah. I
2: need to yeah. And then there's like things that like you start feeling like well gosh there's people in my life that I really care about and I want to help mm-hmm. you know how can I help them most of the time it's like well money you know which is also another side of that thing which is like <laughs> I remember someone saying this actually is true like oh you're gonna see who your real friends are you're gonna see who your real friends are and I was like ah okay all my friends are real friends <laughs> Um, in what
3: how has that manifested
2: well there was one particular woman who I went to college with and like immediately after I booked the pilot she wrote this like quote air quotes funny article that was like a satirical article about how she had been in LA a really long time and nothing had happened for her and then her fresh off the boat friend yes she actually used that phrase in the article I think comes to LA doesn't even know how to hit her marks which I told her in confidence over coffee I was so embarrassed because I couldn't hit my marks like I'd not ever Uh. learned to do that and I was fucking up shots left and right and I told her that in confidence and then she wrote about it in this article
0: to yeah. do what?
2: To, like, make whatever $100 that she sold the article for, yeah. you know? And then called me the morning that the article came out. I didn't even have the balls to, like, discuss it with me beforehand. Called me that morning and was like, hey, girl, I hope you're okay with it. It's, like, to- so tongue-in-cheek. And, like, no, I wasn't okay with it. And, like, I'll never, ever let you back into my inner circle.
3: I mean, I've definitely – I've talked about it on this show that I've, like, given family members money. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, people have said, well, that's a very bad precedent to set mm-hmm. that you – would even do that,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: or just weird stuff? Like I had someone, One of my brother made a joke about like selling some of my clothes on eBay, and I was like, "It's not funny. <gasps> that's not funny,
2: bra." Like, like he, that's not thought cute. it was funny, and I'm like, "It's not, It's, it's not actually cute. stressful to me." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like would say that. <laughs> yeah, and like there was a there was in the beginning. Um, Alias Shawcat actually gave me some really good advice. I was like talking about going out with my friends, and she was like, but you didn't pay for everyone, did you? I was like, yeah, I did. You know, like, I can afford it. And yeah. she was like, you can't do that. You, can't, you have to stop doing that now. Yeah. You can't do that because then they're going to expect it, and then they won't pull out their debit cards, and then you'll see. You'll see how quickly it happens. I was like, oh, my God, that's such good advice. It was such good advice from her because, yeah. like, you don't want to ever not feel like an equal with your friends. You I know, know, but
3: I feel awful when people – when friends or my sister who lives out here will say, like – stuff about like not having any money. Which like mm-hmm. I was that. Like I mm-hmm. I get it. Like I certainly had like nine dollars in my bank account. Right. That is the reality. Right. And I had no nobody that I could have reached out to about right. it.
2: Right. And I think those are case by case. Like that's case by case. Like if it's your sister, then yeah. like maybe you decide, okay, I'm gonna help you for like this amount of time. You know, mm-hmm. like this year I'm gonna give you X amount of dollars every month. Yeah. And, to like try to help you get on but your But then feet is or it whatever. like
3: I'm not I'm not encouraging
2: her to I don't know. You know, like I don't know. I did it on my own. It's a really good question. It's a really good question. Yeah. But I do think like that is different than like we all go out for drinks and I end up buying everybody right. drinks or like we all go out for dinner and Stephanie's. or pick I feel up the tab. bad like
3: I price or I'm priced out like I'm like to my friend like I want to get dinner and she's like well I'm I can't spend money this week and then right. I'm like I'll whatever like it's I'll no sweat it. off my back right. I'll buy it
2: I want to but out then with the you. feeling that can happen sometimes is like your friend is like uh, feels shame about that it's like I don't want to piggyback on my other friend's success I want to feel like an equal which is like. Right. I have had to make that adjustment in my own life, being like, okay, if she says like oh, I'm sort of short on cash, don't press the issue. Ask once, be like, well, I can pay for dinner if you if you want to go. Yeah, and if she responds like, well, yeah, that sounds good. Like you don't mind, then yes, go for it. Mm-hmm. But if I say it and she's like oh I feel bad then suggest like cool well then come over and I'm gonna cook or like okay yeah. cool like let's go I'll come over and we'll order a pizza or whatever like, yeah cause
3: I think I've gone from one bracket to another and it's like very jarring yeah in friendship wise and yeah. it's jarring with like what I'm able to do or like I got asked to go to Mexico for something and I was like oh I'll bring my friend and yeah but it's like well Yeah, but then, like, am I going to pay for everything in Mexico? Like, what is this?
2: What is it? What is it? But then it's
3: like, but I just want to, like, hang out with my friends. I know. I
2: know. I know. I feel exactly the same way. I've done, I'm like, sometimes when they would, they they fly us to New York for TCAs. Mm -hmm. And there have been a couple times where I've, like, begged my best friend, Courtney, who's doing the podcast Reality Mm -hmm. Bites with me. I'm like, come to New York. Come to New York. She's like, I, like, this month is not a good month for me, you Mm -hmm. know? And I'm like. Okay, well, if you can buy your plane ticket, then I'll do everything else, you know? And, like, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But it is. It's, like, a very – you have to reexamine it all the time. You can't just – that's the thing about it is, like, you can't examine it once and be like, okay, that's the rules and that's what we do. Right. You just have to reexamine it every single time.
3: What were you going to do – what was the plan if you didn't get Brooklyn Nine-Nine?
2: just keep trying in LA as much as I could with like, 200 bucks yeah and keep working at P- Pop Physique and like try and make more money there mm-hmm. and but there was like a sort of in the back of my mind was like you're gonna you're gonna hit you're gonna hit it's gonna happen in mm-hmm. some way or another it's gonna happen it might happen when you're 40 mm-hmm. it might not happen till later and, and
3: you were gonna be like I'll give myself till 40
2: yeah yeah well I'll give myself till whenever because like there's nothing else that I wanna do it feels like a location like it feels like a calling like you don't I don't I know there's some actors that can like take it or leave it but I don't feel this is going to sound so hippie-dippy. I feel like I have something to add to the world and I don't feel like there's any other way I can get it out.
3: So today this show is coming out. It is November 9th. We have elected a new president. I'm recording this outro on November 8th. So I voted for Hillary Clinton, but I don't know yet what the results are. Uh, if <laughs> if it has gone the other way, this will be sort of like that tape where it's like, if you're reading this, I've moved um, to London or Tokyo or walked into the sea. Um, and if she did win, then whew, I'm, I still live in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. Um, I think it was important to talk to Stephanie, particularly for this episode, because immigration has come up so much in this election. And I wanted to put a fine point on the person who is an immigrant. And that is a person that you love on your favorite show. And I think that it's important to know that those are real people and that they are all around us and that it's not a joke. And Talking about building walls and talking about putting stronger checks on immigrants or not letting people into this country, which is the opposite of what the United States has always been about. I know that this was like a fun, uplifting episode, but I just wanted to make sure that you guys understood how important the immigration issue is and how much these people are working hard in our country and trying to make themselves better lives in our country for them and for their children And that hopefully post-election, everything is okay. And if Donald Trump has won, I guess this will be the last episode of Bad With Money that you will hear. Unless, um, Panoply has an office in Tokyo. (laughs) Oh, God, I hope she won. On a more relaxing note, let's close this episode out with the sounds of Stephanie on the ukulele. It's
2: been a long time since you came around been a long time, but I'm back in time. And this time I'm not leaving without you. It
3: tastes like whiskey. Thanks for listening to Bad With Money. If you like the show, please subscribe in iTunes and leave us a rating. And be sure to tell all your friends who are also bad with money that this is the show for them. Also, feel free to tell your friends who keep a secret stash of breakup money throughout every relationship And don't go emotionally and financially bankrupt every time their heart is broken. But are also probably way less fun at parties than the rest of us. We are part of the Panoply Network, which is also home to Andrea's show, YOY. Go subscribe to both of us. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is Panoply's director of production. And Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Our engineer is Jeremy Underwood. Original music for our show was composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. And they are all amazing, and that song is so good, and it is performed by Sam Barbera. Our show art, which is also incredible, is by Cameron Glavin. I'm Gabby Dunn, and I'll talk to you, hopefully next time. Goodbye, everyone. Yes,
2: yeah, something about baby you and I.